We started a series several weeks ago called Holidays for Hope, and really it was a continuation of a series that we entitled Home with Hope. But in the holiday season, in essence, what we're doing is we're taking a look at some of the Christmas characters and linking them up with Psalms 23. And we started out several weeks ago by just taking a look at Mary. And Mary had a special anointing on her life. And David said, you have anointed my head with oil. And we looked at God's anointing on our life and how he gives us just this extra anointing to fulfill it, to, to accomplish what he has called us to accomplish. And then last week, we took a look at Joseph. And we talked about the valley that he was in and the valley that God led him through. Because David said in Psalms, uh, you walk with me through the valley and the shadow of death. And we talked about different valleys that you and I go through and how God gets us through them. Today we're going to take a look at Simeon. Simeon is this guy in Jerusalem. And he is led by God's Spirit to go into the temple. Because God in essence has told him, Jesus is going to show up, and you're going to get to see, <laughs> eight days old, the way, the truth, and the life. We're going to talk about God's leading in our life. So let's read this. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout. Righteous meaning he separated himself from kind of the common culture of the day. He wasn't a worldly person. He was righteous and devout, focused in on the Lord, and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace. As you have promised, I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. God's Spirit led Simeon to the temple. God's Spirit led Simeon in the right way to accomplish the right things for the glory of God. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. And then Simeon blessed them. And he said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and the sword will pierce your very soul. Simeon was led by God's Spirit, led in a right way to fulfill God's purpose of bringing glory to himself. David said this, he leads me in the right path for his name's sake. What would have happened 2,000 plus years ago, if Simeon had this prompting of God's spirit to go to the temple and he would have said no to it. What's going on? David says in Psalms here that he leads me in right paths for his name's sake. 
You see, you and I throughout our life will make choices. And our choices will make us. You and I will make decisions and our decisions will make us. If you make good decisions, you will succeed. You will experience all that God has for you for his glory. If you make make bad decisions, you will fail. You see, every decision has a consequence. Now, indecision, on the other hand, I believe is one of the biggest stressors of life. And yet your God doesn't want you to be stressed out when you have to make a decision. And in the holidays, it is hard, is it not? What do you get for this person? What do you get for that person? I mean, should I get Pastor George a BMW or a Tesla? Okay, I mean, it's obvious it's a Tesla, okay? Uh, But the Spirit leads us in those times when we are indecisive. Should I... Should I let go or should I hold on? Should I go in this direction or should I go in a different direction? The Bible's pretty clear that when you and I have to make decisions and we are uh, paralyzed by it, that we are like, uh, we are unstable. In the Greek, it means that we are like a drunk who, who staggers back and forth, back and forth, back and forth at every turn about every decision. You see, what is the antidote to this? Well, the antidote is to allow God to lead you. Life is a journey. And God in his goodness has given us a roadmap. It is called the Bible. And he has given us a compass. It is called our conscience. He has given us a personal guidance counselor. That is called the Holy Spirit. And the personal guidance counselor that he has given us is by far the best of the three. Because sometimes it is difficult, is it not, to read a map. And our conscience isn't a good guide either because it can be seared, okay, from various experiences that we have, that we have had. But the best of the best of the best is a personal guidance counselor. And the psalmist tells us that God wants to lead us through his spirit, through paths of righteousness. In other words, right paths. He wants us to get to the temple so that we can experience all that God has for us in our life. He doesn't want to mess us up. He doesn't want us to get off track. He wants us to get there. Now, I know that some of you sitting here and say, George, you know what, I've tried this thing about being led by the Spirit, but I just don't know how it works. Well, in order for God to lead you, there are some things that you must stop doing, and there are some things that you must start doing. Our God has promised us, because he is a good, good God, that he wants to lead, feed, and meet needs and help us succeed. I stated that early on in this series. It is a prayer. God, you know, lead me, feed me, meet my needs, and help me to succeed. And the psalmist tells us that that is what God wants us to do, and he has promised that he will do that for us. In fact, it is a sign that you have a relationship with Christ being led by his spirit. Take a look at Romans chapter eight, verse 14 here. Only those people who are led by God's spirit are God's children. 
So it is absolutely vital that you take good notes for yourself and for others about what we are going to talk about this morning. Because Paul says only those people who are led by God's spirit, will you circle spirit, are God's children. Now in my lifetime, I can't say that I am this experienced mountain climber, but I've done my share of 14ers in Colorado. And I can tell you this, as you hike up a 14er, there are going to be times when you stop, and there's going to be times that you start. I want to take that metaphor of stopping and starting and talk about how you hear God's voice, how you get God's guidance in your life, how you fulfill God's will that he has for you. And so let's start with the negative. Okay, I'm personal, practical, and positive. You know, I'm just going to be negative first. I'm going to start off with the negative. I'm going to mix things up this season, okay? So let's talk about what we need to stop first in order to be led by God's Spirit. And the first is this. I can't follow culture that doesn't follow God. I've got to stop that. You can't run in two different directions. You can't chase two different rabbits. You can't serve two different things. You can only have one, number one, in your life. God brought this to the attention of these Hebrews that were entering into the promised land that were going to have all these godless nations around them. And this was his warning to them in Exodus 23 too. Do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. Now, this is extremely important for you and I because we live, in, we live in a culture that has bought off on this myth. If everybody's doing it, then it must be okay. Folks, that's just not true. Now, unfortunately, a lot of people make decisions based on whether they're accepted or not. You know, I just want to fit in. And if, and if everyone's doing it, I'm going to do it. And if everyone's not doing it, guess what? I'm not going to do that. Today, there is a lot of pressure on people to conform to, conf- uh, to culture. But you and I cannot conform to culture and be led by the Spirit at the very same time because oftentimes the Spirit is going on in a different direction. This was the problem with Israel. If you studied the Old Testament for three, 4,000 years of uh, Israel's history, they were following, the, they wanted to be like the other nations around them. Now Paul takes this national concept and he whittles it down individually in Romans 12, verse 2, where he says this, do not copy the behavior or the values of this world. Instead, let God transform you into a new person. In other words, what he's saying here is you got to be different. You can't be like everyone else that's around. You gotta be different. How? By changing the way you think. In other words, you gotta think different. You gotta process things differently. Then you will know what God wants you to do. The reason why so many people don't know what God wants them to do is because they have been inoculated with culture. And so you have gotta decide, am I gonna do what's popular or am I gonna do God's will? Am I going to be what God wants me to be? Or am I going to be what other people want me to be? 
God says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then what happens? So that you can prove how good and pleasing and perfect his, his will really is. Will you circle those three words? Good, pleasing, and perfect. God's will is good. It's not bad. God's will is pleasing. It's enjoyable. God's will is perfect. In other words, it fits you to a T. And by the way, it brings glory to God. And God's will for Simeon fit him to the T. And it brought glory to God as he praised the one who was in his sight. Now, one of the many weaknesses of following culture is that it's temporary. It is here today and gone tomorrow. Wouldn't you agree with that? You're a hero one moment and you're a zero the next moment. And we ought to know that with what's been on the news lately about all this sex harassment stuff. People that held in high esteem and now, where are they? They are gone. Hero one moment, zero the next. Now, since I wrote this message about six weeks ago, I've had a flood of other thoughts. So I'm going to read some of them to you. I want to read 1 John 2, 17. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. It's fading away. But George, we'll be on the wrong side of history. It doesn't matter whether you're on the wrong side of history or the right side of history. History is often wrong. History, oftentimes, as it is happening, is wrong. You ever heard of Nazism? You ever heard of communism? Okay. You see, what's important is to be on the right side. And God says, if you allow my spirit to lead you, you will be on the right side. So we got to stop following culture that doesn't follow God. Secondly, this one is more personal. I can't follow friends who aren't led by God. I can't follow friends who aren't led by by God. I have to make the decision, am I going to go where God is going or am I going to go where my friends are going? It is one thing to stand up and say, you know what, I am going to be counterculture. It is another thing to say, you know what, I'm not going to allow my friends to influence me the wrong way. One of the reasons we are not hearing God's will for our life is because we listen to everyone else's will. Hey, we need to do this. Hey, we need to do that. I think we should go see this. I think we should go see that. I think we need to go here. I think we need to go there. I've, I've recognized this, that we live in a world, in our America, that we are very concerned about pollution. We're concerned about water pollution and air pollution, as we should. But we don't give much thought to mind pollution. Some people's minds are so open, guess what? Their brains fall out and roll down the floor, okay? <laughs> I can't follow friends who aren't being led by God's spirit. Now, you may be sitting here and you may be thinking, well, Pastor George, why are you spending such a big deal on this? Isn't this for high school students? No, it's not. It's for adults. Jesus was an adult. His best friend, Peter, came up to him one day and says, hey, you're not going to the cross. Now, Jesus had a pretty strong rebuke to this guy. He said, Satan, get behind me, okay? Get behind me, Satan. It's not about your will, and it's not about my will. It is about my Father's will. And I want you to think about that little story for a second. If your friends aren't following God's will, whose will are they following? Just a thought. So what happens when your friends 
give you some bad advice. Well, you've got to be tender without surrender. And there's a lot of bad advice out there, isn't there? There is. One blog after another blog after another blog about all kinds of moral issues. And if you and I followed them, I guarantee you our lives would be a wreck. So guys, I want to talk with you about something. One of the greatest needs that you have that you may not be aware of is this. Respect. And if you have little kids, I'm going to let you know something. They're going to grow up one day and be adults. And what you will want more than anything else is respect from them. So be careful of what you allow, culture-wise and friend-wise, to come into your life. See how quiet it got? Okay, let's go back to normal. There's a lot of bad advice out there. Take, let me read this verse to you out of Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. In essence, you can't soar with the eagles if you are strutting around with the turkeys all the time. You can't, you've got to choose your friends wisely in order to be wise. If you want to follow God's direction, I can't follow culture and I can't follow my friends that aren't following Jesus. Now, I have to be honest with you. I have heard some, I have met, I should say, and heard, but met believers who go to non-believers for advice and for counsel. And when I hear that, I go, really? They don't even have God's spirit in them. Take a look at this verse, 1 John 3, 7. Do not let anyone lead you the wrong way. Christ is righteous. So to be like Christ, you must do what is right. And anyone who keeps on sinning is being led by the devil. In other words, just don't take anyone's advice, even if they're a Christian, especially if they're a non-Christian. They don't have the spirit of Christ in you. You could actually miss God's will for your life. Get advice. Yes, that's very important. But get it from mature believers. Honestly, my phone ought to be ringing off the wall or, your, or the small group's leaders that you're with ought to be ringing off the wall. Now, when I talk about this, not being led by friends who don't have God's spirit, I am not saying that you and I cannot have friends or non-believing friends. Not at all. God wants you and I to love everybody. He wants us to love non-believers and he wants us to love believers at the same time. Let me read you this. This is what God told Jeremiah, okay? In Jeremiah 15. Let me just, just listen to this. If you speak good words rather than worthless ones, you will be my spokesman. You must influence them. Do not let them influence you. You see, every day in the world that you and I live in, we have a decision that we need to make, whether we're with Christians or non-Christians, okay? And that is this. We've got to decide whether we're going to be a thermostat or a thermometer. They're talking dirty. Am I going to talk dirty? They're going to go here. Am I going to go there? You see, a thermostat sets the culture. A thermometer reads the culture. God has called you and I to be thermostats. 
He wants you and I to influence them. Now, like I said, God commands you and I to love everybody. So let me show you two verses that oftentimes Christians get confused on. You can write these down. 1 John 2.15 and John 3.16. 1 John 2.15 says this, Do not love this world or the things it offers. And then John 3.16, For God so loved the world. Both of those verses were written by the same person. John, the apostle, the disciple, the, the beloved, okay? And they appear to be contradictory, but they're not. The word world is used in two different ways. One time it re it's referred to as people, and the other time it's referred to as values. God has called us to love the world, people. But he's called us to hate the values of the world. Racism, sexism, prejudice. Does that make sense? Our problem is this, is that we tend to reverse those things. We tend to love the values of the world and we tend to hate the people of the world. Gallup has done surveys where he has discovered that there is very little difference. Statistically, there's no difference between Christians and non-Christians. Isn't that shocking? Christians are just as materialistic, just as uh, uh, hedonistic as non-Christians. And what's happened is we've reversed those things. We, we hate the people and we love the values. And God says, no, no, no. You love the people regardless of their lifestyle. But you hate the values. Now, I can't, call, I can't follow a culture that isn't following God. And I can't follow friends that aren't being led by God's Spirit. Number three, I can't look to other sources besides God. If I am looking for direction for my life, I cannot be looking to a TV talk show. Rather, I need to be looking to God's word, his owner's manual. I can't be looking towards other sources than God. And there are a lot of voices out there, are there not? There are a lot of substitute voices out there for God. I have met Christians who every day read their horoscope and not God's word. I think, that's illogical. It doesn't even make sense. God says, don't do that. You see, when people look to other things for direction, let me put it like this. When people look to other things for God's guidance or divine guidance, do you know what that's called? called divination divination means to try to to find out what your future is without consulting your creator and there are all kinds of forms of divination out there in ancient times the most common way that people discerned the future was consulting livers do you know that what they would do is they would sacrifice an animal, take the liver out, and take a look at it to discern whether they should go to war or not. Rome was built on that. The Babylonian Empire was built on that. The, the, the Etruscans looked to the liver all of the time. Ezekiel 21, 21. It mentions this. Let me read this to you. 
the king of Babylon now stands at the fork, uncertain whether to attack Jerusalem or Rabbah. He calls his magicians to look for omens. They cast lots by shaking arrows from the quiver. They inspect the livers of animal sacrifices. There's 50 ways that you can lose your liver around here, so be careful, okay? Got it right here. Oh, I mean lose your lover. Okay, sorry. That's called divination. Now, does this kind of stuff exist today? Absolutely it does. Have you ever seen a palm reading shop? Have you ever seen a tea reading shop? Have you ever heard of crystal balls? Have you ever heard of tarot cards? Have you ever heard of horoscopes? Folks, those are all called divinations. It is looking to the future without consulting God. And God says, don't do that. Have you ever heard of the California Psychic Hotlines with those good-looking chicks on TV? Don't call them. I mean, you ought to know right off the bat, first thing they're going to ask you is this, what's your credit card number? Duh, you should know it. Folks, just drop the phone. If you look up modern ways of divination, you will find the strangest things. In Russia, they drop beans on the floor and they look for a pattern to discern what they should do. In Africa, they let go of parrots to see where they fly to discern what they should do. In Europe and in America, there's this thing called rumpology. It's where people study other people's butts to determine who they should marry. I kid you not. Why do people do this? Because they don't want God in the center of their life. They want to choose what their future is without him being in the center of it. And God says, don't do that. Take a look at Deuteronomy 18.10. Never look to psychics or seances or fortune telling or the stars or people who claim to contact the dead. People who do these things are doing evil and God hates it with a passion. Now, I doubt if you are doing any of these things. I sure in the world hope not, okay? I doubt if you are. But if you know someone that is, lovingly tell them that they're going in the wrong direction. Satan masquerades as an angel of light. And so avoid those kinds of things. So if you want God's leading in your life, there are some things that you need to start, yes, but there are some things that you've got to stop. You've got to stop following culture that isn't following God. You've got to stop following friends who are not being led by God's Spirit. You've got to, you can't look to other sources other than God. And then number four, I must stop being led by my circumstances. Now, those other three may not have been pertinent to you, but this one I think is pertinent to all of us, okay? I am amazed at how many believers make this the number one way that they determine God's will for their life. Well, my circumstances were this, so it must have been God's will. Well, the offering basket didn't go down my row, so it must have been my will, God's will. I woke up late, so I didn't get to church. must have been God's will. Folks, when you build your life upon circumstances to discern God's will, you are skating on thin ice. And there is all kinds of stories in the Bible about this. Have you ever heard of a guy named Jonah? Jonah has a whole book 
God's will was for him to go directly to Nineveh. God even told him, you need to go to Nineveh and essence share the gospel. They're all going to repent and, and I'm going to get glorified in that. And Jonah didn't want to have anything to do with it. So he takes a stroll down by the seashore and says, oh, there's a boat there. It's going in the opposite direction. I wonder if it's God's will. I'll go see if they have a seat. There's a seat available. It must be God's will. Look in my pocket. I've got a money, just enough to get a seat on a boat that's going to, it must be God's will. We know the rest of the story. It was not God's will. God had to do some pretty extreme circumstances to wake him up, to get him to go in the right direction. There's another one, Acts 27. I love this story. This is, I, we don't have time to read it, but you can read it on your own. Paul is on his way to stand trial for being a Christian. It's kind of in the winter of the season. They're in the Mediterranean, and God spoke to him. He says, hey, we need to port here because bad storms are going to come. And he told the captain that and the, and the crew, nah, nah, you got it all wrong. Uh, the winds are right. The water's just right. We're going to get there. No problems whatsoever. And sure enough, what happened? A storm came. And I love this part in the story where they cut everything off, and then they drifted by circumstances. Wind blowing them there, wind blowing them here, being pushed here and pushed there. And when I read that story, I think that is an epitaph of a lot of Christians who are, being, who are drifting through life due to circumstances. And God has called you and I to be purpose-driven. It may look right, it may feel right, it may smell right, but oftentimes those things end up in a disaster business-wise or relationally. How about you? Have you ever been led circumstantially and it turned out to be a trap? David, one day in the spring of the year, King David, when all kings went to war, decided, you know what, I think I'll just kind of stay back and rest on my PJs on the top of my roof. And it became a trap for him. The fact is, Satan can manipulate circumstances. And so you check circumstances against God's word. Will you write this down? You use circumstances, or you, let me take that, you don't use circumstances to discern God's will. You use circumstances to confirm God's will. Does that make sense? The fifth thing is this, I cannot be led by my feelings. Why? Because feelings lie. Now, any emotion is temporary, whether it is a good one or a bad one. You can be elated on your wedding day. I guarantee you that will not last forever. You can go to Disney World, okay, and you will be elated. It's a mountaintop experience, but it doesn't last forever. In the same way, despair and discouragement, hopelessness is the very same way. Your emotions can't stay at the same level of intensity all the time. People say, well, I just let my conscience be my guide. You know what? That could be good if your conscience has been trained through God's word to discern good and evil. But consciences are broken. Consciences are not truth. Truth is truth. Not what you think is true, not what you hope is true. Truth is truth. A lot of people make decisions based on their conscience and how they feel. You ask them, hey, well, how did you make that decision? Well, I just had a peace about it. Have you ever heard that? Peace is a good thing. 
But it shouldn't be the only thing. Because feelings are neither right or wrong. They're just feelings. And peace can be a good thing. But folks, it's not enough. Satan can give you false peace. Take a look at Proverbs 14, verse 12. You may feel you're on the right road and still end up dead. Will you circle the phrase, you may feel? You see, you can be manipulated by your moods and end up at a dead end. So there are some things that you and I need to stop doing in order that we can start doing what God would want us to do to discern his guidance in our life. Let me give you five things real quickly, and these are all self-explanatory, okay? So we're going to zip through these things. The first one is this. If you want God's direction in your life, is that I must want to be led by God. In other words, I've got to desire it so much so like you're like air when your head has been stuck underwater for five minutes. You've got to have it. This is what David says in Psalms 40, verse 8. My God, I want to do what you want. Your teachings are in my heart. In other words, he was in God's word. And the more you're in God's word, the more your heart is going to well up your will. I've got to have it. I've got to have it. I've got to know it. Number two, I must be willing to do what God says. Not only want it, but I must be willing to do it. In other words, I must have an attitude of obeying God in advance. You come to God and you say, God, before you tell me anything, I just want to let you know something right up front, God, that whatever you say to me, I'm saying yes. I'm going to say yes to it. Take a look at John 7, verse 17. Whoever is willing to do what God wants and chooses it will know if what I teach comes from God. And so God is asking you and I to trust him in advance. Number three, I must look to God's word. Let me give you a couple of verses. Psalms 119, verse 105 and 133. Your word is a lamp to guide me and a light for my path. If you are not in God's word, I'm gonna say this, you're in the dark. You're walking through life without a flashlight, okay? Verse 133, guide my steps by your word so I will not be overcome by any evil. Now let me give you a couple of statements about God's word. And the first one is this, God's will is found in God's word. And when I say that, I'm not saying you're going to find the specific name of the person that you're supposed to marry. Open it up and, oh, Sue, that's the one. No, but you, as you're in God's word, he will teach you principles on how to make wise decisions. And so I say this, stop listening for a voice and start looking for a verse. Get into God's word. The second thing you write down is this, God's will never contradicts. God's word. Because truth is truth all the time. If it was true a thousand years ago, it's true today. If it's true today, it'd be true a thousand years from today. Number four, ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. In high school, you had a guidance counselor, did you not? In life, you've got a guidance counselor. If in high school you didn't go see the guidance counselor, guess what? You didn't get any guidance. And if you don't ask the Holy Spirit for guidance, you're not going to get any. The Holy Spirit is a person, just like I'm a person. I may know what's going on in your life, but if you don't call me up and say, Pastor George, 
what be your spiritual insights in this kind of situation? You're not going to get anything from me. Take a look at Psalms 27, verse 11. Teach me, Lord, what you want me to do and lead me down the right path. Now, how does God lead us? Two ways. Will you just write these words down? We won't look at the verses. He wants to, you have to ask humbly and you have to ask in faith. You have to ask humbly and you have to ask in faith. And then the last one. I must listen for God's response. Meaning, I have to wait. I have to be quiet. I have to listen. And you want to know something? We don't like to do those things. We don't like to wait. We don't like to be quiet. And we don't like to listen. That is why I cannot overstate enough of you and I having personal retreats. When our hope quotient is going through the basement, that's when you and I the most need to withdraw. We need to get apart before we fall apart. Take a look at Job 33, verse 14. God does speak sometimes one way and sometimes another, even though people may not understand it. Will you circle the phrase, not understand? God speaks in a lot of different ways. He speaks through pain. He speaks through communicators, teachers like myself. Maybe your small group leader. He speaks through feelings. He does give peace. He speaks through circumstances. He does that. God speaks a lot of different ways. But a lot of times when that happens, we don't understand it. And we don't know what to do. There is a verse in Psalms 77. Verse 19 that I love, it says, your road, led by, your road led by a path through the sea. He's speaking of Moses and God's people. A pathway no one knew was there. You see, I believe that our hope quotient would rise if we would get alone with God. As we face whatever barriers that's bringing hopelessness into our life. And folks, I've, I've experienced all kinds of barriers. I've experienced financial barriers. I've ex experienced relational barriers, emotional barriers, vocational barriers, church barriers. And what I have discovered when I've faced those barriers is I've gotten alone and said, God, speak to me. What are you trying to do? God comes in and says, George, I've got you exactly where I want you. Watch and see. What if Simeon would have not listened to the Spirit's promptings in his life? He would have missed the way, the truth, and the life. If you and I don't listen to the Spirit's leading in our life, folks, we'll miss the way that God is making to get out of whatever barriers that we're facing. We're going to talk about this in February. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you that you are a good, good God. And that you are good all the time. And that when you, or that when you came, and you lived and died and resurrected, you didn't leave us here alone by ourselves, but you sent your Holy Spirit 
to lead us, to lead, feed, meet needs, and to help us succeed, to lead us in paths of righteousness, right paths, for your name's sake, that you might be glorified and that it might be good for us. And I thank you for that, God. I just thank you for it. Today, I don't know where you're at. Maybe you're facing a barrier and you've done all kinds of consulting with all, with all kinds of people, but you haven't consulted the one. And that's because you don't know him. Today, will you invite Christ into your life? You can't have God's spirit without having a relationship with Christ. And he came, he lived, he died, he resurrected so that you could have that. Because God wants to lead you in the right paths for his name's sake. So will you do that this morning? Will you just say this, God, I admit I've looked to the wrong things. <laughs> My life is a mess as a result. But today, God, I believe that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for my sins. And I humbly, by faith, receive him. Thank you for my salvation. Thank you for your spirit. Help me, God, to listen to that small, tiny voice and to follow it. And if you prayed that prayer, God's heard you, would you just let me know on your communication card, write your name, maybe an email address, and write the letter A and circle it saying I've accepted Christ and when, you, when I get those I'll mail you some literature to help you understand what you've just done so Lord I thank you I really do thank you God you're a good God I thank you for this season that we're in that even in the Christmas story God people were led by your spirit and in this season you want us to be led by your spirit help us in your son's name we pray